I'm not as young as I used to be, which means I can't treat my body the way I once did. In fact, last year's medical checkup didn't turn out the best, so I decided I needed to change things up and start eating healthier. One of the ways I do that is by making smoothies. But smoothie shop prices can be pretty high, and making them at home always seem like a pain. You gotta pull the blender out, find the right attachments, set everything up, and then cleaning everything is annoying, making it difficult to quickly whip up a breakfast smoothie in the morning. That's why I'm glad to tell you about the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Like I said, it's portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. BlendJet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. That's especially important to me because I wake up before the rest of my family, and once my kids are up, my morning work routine is pretty much shot to hell. And best of all, BlendJet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you're good to go. BlendJet 2 has over 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from, so if you don't like one design, there's definitely one that suits your personality. So what are you waiting for? Go to BlendJet.com and grab yours today. Be sure to use my promo code, SuperCinemaPod12, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the BlendJet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the BlendJet 2 Portable Blender. Go to BlendJet.com and use my code, SuperCinemaPod12, that's SuperCinemaPod and the numbers 1-2, to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Dun, 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 dun. Whoa! What the hell is this? It's a gas gun. Your hornet gun. A gas gun? Yeah. Why not a gun gun? Our enemies have gun guns. What? I don't understand. What? What are these? What is this? What are these? These paintballs? No, inside is knockout gas. That's insane. Where's yours? Do you have one? Do you have a black version of it or something? <laughs> no, just you. No? No. Well, why not? Why just me? You, you are so special. I know I'm special, but how come I'm the only one with a gun? Because you don't have much fighting experience, so I thought you needed a gun. Well... I'll be honest, that's a little insulting, man. I mean, I thought we were both badasses the other night. I kicked that guy in the face like three times, remember? I kicked him in the face. Yeah, yeah I remember. Yeah. It makes you look cool. I need to look cool now? What the hell? You said my outfit was pimp. I remember even thinking, that's a weird word for him to use, pimp, but you said it. You said it, it was pimp. It is pimp. Yeah. The horny guy is just an accessory. An accessory? Yeah. Well, then you need, uh, you need nunchucks then. If you don't like it, don't use it. No, let me, how does it work? Shit! It works. Welcome to the 150th episode of the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. I'm your host, Perry Constantine, and bringing back a returning guest. Um, and I swear I did not plan this. It just ended up happening <laughs> coincidentally. But Adam Lance Garcia, who's probably the most frequent guest, is now here for the 150th episode. Adam, how you doing? I'm honored. I did not know this is the 150th episode. I'm very happy to be here. This is exciting. I did not know either. I honestly did not. Because we had been talking about, you know, you coming back on and you'd been busy with a lot of stuff because you're, uh, you're, you're a busy guy these days. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. Um, and so just and it just so happened that the time you scheduled and I'm looking at the 
the episode list and everything, I'm like, oh, wow, that's going to be 150. Okay, nice. <laughs> also, I'm impressed that you've done 150 episodes. Like, that is no small feat. Like, I am mm-hmm. I did eight episodes of an audio drama podcast, and I was just like, all right, I'm taking like two years off, and you've done 150. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah, yeah. It, it's surprising. It, it's even more surprising. It blows me away, too, because the only reason this podcast exists is so I could have an excuse to talk to Derek every week. And so we've done- <laughs> We'd done 60 episodes together and then he passed away. And now it's crazy to me to think that I've done more episodes solo than I did with him. That That is insane. Yeah. Oh, Derek, man. I know we talked about him the first time I was on, but like he was such a good guy. Mm-hmm. And like I always think about how I as an early as a young writer coming up he was so supportive and so kind and you know that that goes a long way you don't forget the people i mean Mm -hmm. you you don't forget the people who support you you'll never forget the people who kind of like who tells you you'll never succeed but the people who support you those are the ones that like they last and they matter because they say like hey you can do it and derek was was always that guy um yeah, he is. He is so sorely missed. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of nuts, man, that 90 episodes since then. You monster. Yeah. <laughs> well, it goes down to the to the listeners, too, because when, after he passed away, I asked them, you know, what do you think I should do? Should I continue it? Which and they're like, yeah, you should keep it going. I think he would want you to keep it going. So so I yeah, kept it going absolutely. for for that. And I think it is fitting to, to, to talk about him a little bit for for on the 150th episode. So absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I, you know, I go back and forth and I listen to some of those uh, old episodes we did together. Um, And it's, it's not, I'm glad that we have that record too. So I can go back and I can go back and revisit those episodes and revisit those conversations. So that's one of the nice things about it too. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's also interesting because like in the, in the movie that we're going to talk about, you know, there was a conversation that he and I had about it, not necessarily over uh, voice, but in text. And we'll talk about it more when we get there, but it, it does seem very fitting to, to kind of remember the man who helped start this, this journey that you are, that you are on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had, um, I've been trying to find out if he had done, uh, I was just searching right now, see if he had done a review of this on his website. Cause his movie review website is still up, but it doesn't look like he does, but he did do, he- um, uh, a po- uh, on his old podcast, Better in the Dark, episode ninety nine, they had talked about that that um, that this movie, Green Hornet. So that was uh, I. I believe he there was myself, uh, Derek, and Ron Fortier who did uh, three reviews. Uh, I believe uh, for God, what was the name of the blog at the time? Um, it was uh, Sorella Smith who was going by uh, Tommy Hancock at the time. Uh, it was their website. Um, I don't know if she still has it up, but it's uh, yeah. I the the whole thinking is, and we're 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 you know kind of spoiling the movie that we're going to be talking about. But mm-hmm. like we are talking about our three very different reactions to uh, the 2011 film, The Green Hornet. Yeah, I know I because I but unfortunately that's not on his website, and that's what I was. And I know he had done a review because I know I I remember reading it at some point. So that's yeah. why I, I was trying to look for it just now. But even just a Google search result for Derek Ferguson, Green Hornet didn't turn up anything. So 
if anyone knows if that if that blog is still alive, send me a message, send me the the link to the review, and I'd be happy to include it in the in the show notes for for this episode. Um, but before we get too deep into that, uh, let's talk about what you've been up to because uh, you are going to be writing a Star Wars for some reason. Oh, they can, let you do it. I've written, I've <laughs> written, written a Star Wars. Sir. It is uh, going yes, to be published. Is it, what I mean. I, it is Obviously, going to be published. Yeah. Coming out. Some, uh, yes. Uh, so what's great about this is what what's really exciting for me uh, in talking to you, Perry, because you and I sort of started off in the the pulp community early on in our careers. Um, so, you know, I remember you when, um, but I've always, since I started writing, wanted to write a Star Wars. And uh, last year, I uh, I got a really great email uh, from Elizabeth Schaefer, Schaefer at uh, Del Rey, and it was just, do you want to write a Star Wars? Um, and I'm really glad that I was kneeling down at the time because I would have fallen down. Um, I, I'm, I wrote uh, a short story for the upcoming anthology uh, Star Wars from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi. It is for the 40th anniversary, um, which is amazing because it's also my 40th year on this earth. Uh, so it all kind of syncs up. But the idea is um, it's retelling the events of Return of the Jedi from different points of view, uh, from characters both within the film and within Star Wars canon. Uh, and... I knew exactly who I wanted to tell because I knew the anthology was coming out. They had done Empire Strikes Back. They had done Star Wars A New Hope. So I knew it was coming and I was really crossing my fingers that it would happen. Um, and apparently both Lucasfilm and Del Rey wanted me to be a part of this anthology. And um, I can't yet reveal who it is um, unless this is coming out later this year i have no idea when this ep- this episode is coming out so i'm not gonna no no this will probably be coming out i think either late april or early may but i'm not sure exactly what the timeline is for that so and and also like e- even though not... it doesn't won't be released yeah. like they have web crawlers and stuff that go around and because i noticed yeah. that even though the episode's not released it says like you know five plays or something oh, yeah. like this so so yeah better not oh, yeah. to spill anything we're, we're better yeah, so edit around this. Uh, so, yeah. So while I can't reveal who the character is or when the story takes place, um, I can say that it's a character that I don't think anyone's going to expect. Um, it is a character that I chose because I could. I found a way to say something with them. Um, things that spoke uh, spoke to both the in-universe stuff and stuff that you know we have all gone through uh, in the real world, um, and I they it was due in this. They I think they hired me in August or they offered me in August. I immediately have wrote the pitch like within an hour, and they're like, "Okay, great!" Like a, a couple of days later, it's like approved. Great, go ahead. Um, it's due by December. I got it to them in October. And if anyone knows me, I'm not the fastest writer, but that's the fastest I've ever written anything in my life. And my girlfriend was like, I've never seen you write this fast. I'm like, I've been waiting 40 years for this. So, <laughs> uh, it is it is really exciting. I, I really can't wait to talk more, talk more about it. Um, like I said before, uh, writing a Star Wars was the reason I started writing. 
So this is all just just a dream dream come true. I'm yeah. September fifth uh, comes out two thousand and twenty three. Awesome. So well, then we'll have to have you. We'll have to have you back up on when you can can talk a little bit more about it, and you can tell people yeah. a little bit more about what's going on. So uh, we'll mark that down. Absolutely. For, Trust for me. Try to later. stop me talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but don't shut up about it. But I think the big question everyone has on Twitter oh. about this. Is Adam uh-huh. finally going to be canon? <laughs> uh, so uh, I am. I the question of what the canonicity of this in Star Wars is a little loose. Um, it is as Elizabeth, my editor, uh, once put for the other ones, it's canon adjacent. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of uh, you know it is canon until proven otherwise. Okay. Um, so Adam is canon until. You know, the Mandalorian <laughs> says it didn't happen. Um, or J.J. Abrams decides honestly, to make a new movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, that well, that well, one of those things won't happen. Um, so um, I yeah, it's it, it is it is canon. Uh, if you want it to be canon, it is uh, closer to canon than um, some of the old Legends books or EU or mm-hmm. universe uh, from when we were growing up. Um, you know, it is about a character's point of view. So they're seeing these events from this point of view. Uh, but I worked very, very hard uh, to make sure that it fits into every established can, like all canon that they've released right now, um, that it fits into that canon. Like even like stray lines from other books or things. I'm like, all right, how do I fit that into this story? And it was actually really interesting. Um what I found is the more canon I butted up against, the better the story became because you're like, oh, well, I have this box to think inside. What is that? How do I take that event that's true and make it relevant to this character? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one thing I was, I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I know I'm going really deep in this. Uh, you no, 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 no problem at all. It, yeah. So the most interesting thing about writing the story was sort of avoiding fan service, not just like fan service for the fans, but my own sort of personal fan service, things that meant something to me, like references to the first Star Wars book I read, uh, the glove of Darth Vader or or really random things. What it was a big exercise in was like, what is true for the character? What is true for the universe? What will say more about this? Um like just sort of learning everything I could about the era and this character and then ignoring it all and just focusing on what was true for him or her in this moment um, and uh, on this place in this time. Uh, it was really, it was a really interesting example of like avoiding sort of like, let's give the fans what they want. It's like, mm-hmm. what is true for the character? What is true for the story? And what will mean the most? Um, whether I succeeded or not will be remain to be seen, but it was something that I was really, um, I think, again, sort of speaking to like where we were when we first started writing, It's it was a maturity of, uh, of storytelling that I think if I had gotten this opportunity 10 years ago, I would have not... Uh, been able to do i would have been like Mm -hmm. let's give the fans what they want let's like have an action scene and this and this Mm -hmm. and this and it became a lot more somber and internal of a story uh you know not to say that one is better than the other but i think it's more about like where i am now it's like i'd really rather tell a story that has more emotion where i think i would have written something a lot more action-based and something that winked and nudged at the audience more 
um, than what I did in this book. And and obviously, out of context, context, none of this means anything. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what happens. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. Good. Awesome. And so when, it's coming out in September, and um, and you said it was called fifth. September fifth. Is it up for a pre order yet, or no? Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. It is so up we'll, for pre order. So we'll have a link to the the pre order page in uh, on Amazon on the in the show notes. Then for that. Um, Congratulations, man. That is so cool. That is so cool. Um, have you, you gotten any sort of feedback about any other possible future stuff you might be able to do for them or can't say yet or or what? No comment. No comment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so that's um that's a good side then, because that means it's not no. <laughs> uh but anyway, um let's move on then. And uh another thing we like to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Mm. yeah okay all right uh so let's move on then and uh another thing i like to do now is ask people what are they into lately what kind of stuff has been grabbing your interest uh right now comics movies tv anything oh man what's been i i'm binging the new girl uh new girl uh, which is something that I never thought I'd say. I'm having a great time. It's been weird. I, uh, I'm reading right now. Uh, well, I'm actually. It's called The Spare Man uh, by Mary uh, Robinette Koal. I'm mispronouncing that, uh, but it's very good. It's a murder mystery on a cruise ship in space. Um, oh. I'm still listening to a lot of audio drama, lots of Doctor Who audio drama. Um, obviously, I'm reading and uh, uh, researching a lot of Star Wars. Um, and what am I watching these days? I've seen so many movies. I see so many movies. So my day job is I, I'm a, a creative producer, director for Connie Nass, and I do a lot of interviews for celebrities. It's a dumb job. It's so dumb. It's so great. But like, <laughs> I watch a, oh, a shit ton of movies uh, on TV shows. Like I binge watched so much Helen Mirren uh, recently for an interview that didn't happen. And then I watched a, a ton of Tony Collette stuff for an interview that did happen. Um, so I have no idea what I watch anymore. I, I'm so <laughs> I like I like Bob's Burgers. That's something that I watch when I'm like trying to fall asleep because it's relaxing. Um, I'm gonna be seeing uh, the new Ari Aster film, which I'm terrified about because I horror films upset me and they make me sad <laughs> because everyone's dying. Um, I, uh, God, what else have I seen? I saw John Wick 4. That was great. I liked Shazam 2. Um, what else have I seen recently? I'm going to see Dungeons & Dragons next this week. Uh, I just, I, I, I consume so much media, Perry. I, I, all the time, nonstop. <laughs> it is my, I mean, look, it, it sounds like, I make it sound like worse than it is, but like, it's my job. Uh, so it's like, there's this weird, like, this is great. I just, like, today was great. It, it was sunny and 61 degrees in, in New York. Um, and I sat outside and I read a book and it was quiet. Mm-hmm. And that was wonderful. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm playing a death loop. Death loop is really good. Um, that's a fun game. Um, really good time. Terrible mechanics. I'm really digging it. Uh, yeah. I'm just a rambling mess tonight. I have, I am so <laughs> tired. You have till children. I do not understand how you are alive. And I've, I'm, I am not in that place. So anyway, yeah, I'm I don't understand great. it either. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just as one example, last night, because um, uh, usually I'll uh, when the kids go to sleep and everything, I'll watch something and then 
last thing I'll do before I'll, I'll like read a comic, read some comics for like an hour or half an hour or so before I go to sleep. And so I was doing that last night and I finished, um, was it? it was, uh, the second book in the, the most recent Batman and the Outsiders series just finished it. And then I'm thinking like, all right, I'm about to go to bed. And then as soon as like, I turn off the, my mu- my background music on Spotify, I hear footsteps coming down and it's Helena and <laughs> it's like two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, what are you doing up? And so she comes, she sits on, and she wants to uh, sit next to me. So I put on some, I put on episodes of Scrubs and we both lay down and, and fall asleep in, on the couch that way. Um, but yeah. that's the kind of stuff. And then Philip wakes me up at like, you know, six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, it's crazy. We were talking off mic about, um, you know, my exercise program lately and, how the the trainer said, "Well, let's see if we can get you four times a week." And I'm I'm just like, "How the pe- how the hell do people do it? It's just impossible." I I honestly don't know how people with children do anything. Like I I I I love kids. I may or may not have them one day. Um, but you know, it, it I I I approach like hanging out with my friends with kids in a very understanding way. I'm like, mm-hmm. "Hey, like I have a friend who like lives basically 20 minute walk from me." And I'm like, hey, it's going to be sunny tomorrow. Do you want to hang out? And he's like, maybe it depends on the kids. And I'm like, no worries, no mm-hmm. stress. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, they are the number one thing you need to be worried about. So yeah. I'm yeah. I'm always I'm in awe of what you are capable of doing. The fact that you do, do so much and we were talking off mic about all the mm-hmm. things you do, that you are able to do all those things, uh, including like even shower um with two children is is a miracle so you should be very proud of yourself i'm very proud the of the shower you. thing sometimes especially when um when i don't have to go to when i don't have to go to campus or anything the shower thing takes a back seat actually <laughs> to be honest <laughs> it's just like what was the last time i showered uh two days ago it's okay it's all right <laughs> yeah i, I, uh, I had a friend a of mine who was just- yeah, he was like saying that like he he just had he has like a a newborn and a one year old and he's like I haven't showered in days I have no idea what mm-hmm. I'm doing I yeah. I've been wearing like there's just vomit covering my shirt I'm just I just don't even care anymore I'm like yep that sounds like children yeah we yep. had um I had a I got a a buddy uh some two of my friends they live in Tokyo but they um the the husband he owns a bar out here about an, like a. 30, 30 minute train ride away from, away from where I live. And so they come, he comes back and forth a lot. And, um, and like, he's always sending me stuff on Facebook. He's like, Hey, we're doing this and this at the bar this weekend. And he's like, um, this past weekend, he's like, he's like, Oh, you know, it's, it's my wife's birthday. She's coming down to Tokyo. I'm like, all right, so I should go out for this. So I'm like, okay, so what are the plans? And he says, okay, so we're going to have a party at the bar on Saturday night. And then Sunday afternoon, we're going to go out to a barbecue. And I'm just like, I can do one of those things. I can't do both. Yeah. <laughs> so, and even still, it was just like, um, okay. Uh, 1130 I gotta go catch the last train back home and they're going out to like the second the after party and all that and I just know they're probably out until like three o'clock in the morning yeah I, yeah I had a party a birthday party uh a couple of weeks ago my girlfriend surprised me it was it was wonderful but like I was one of only like two people who didn't have kids mm-hmm. and they were like all right we're leaving now it's like 10 o'clock I'm like dude I, I get it and I, re- I always remember my friend who before he had kids um i'm gonna do a terrible australian accent he's like when well, oh, i get have kids i'm always gonna like time to see my mates i have not seen him in two years <laughs> yeah 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 that sounds about right i mean i mean part of that, that was a part of pandemic but i was like i remember like we go out to drinks or something he's like why is blanka blank not here 
We're like, because he's got two kids. And he's like, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, no, no. He has two kids. Mm-hmm. And now, he, you know, you know, just, God, he was so, anyway. You know, the, <sighs> I hate the season finale of how I met, the series finale of how I met your mother. But one of the things that they nailed was the, when they're all at the bar in the future and Barney's like falling asleep at the table. And it's like, we're going out late. Today. He's like nine 30. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that, that's about right. That's about what it is. Um, yeah. For my part, what I've been, what I've been uh, watched, I, I got into uh, the white Lotus and cause okay. I had seen people talking about it and I'm not, and trying to consume as much stuff on HBO max while I still have the subscription. Cause I think I'm going to cancel it now that they're taking so much stuff I like off of it. Um, I think I'm going to so save until the end of Titans and Doom Patrol, and then I'm going to that exit. But but I um, either of those White Lotus, I just gave it a try because I heard people talking about it, and so I'm like, all right, let me let me give this a try. And I watched the first season over the course of like a week. I'm like, oh, that was pretty good. And then the second season, I binged in like two days. It was so good. Yes. Uh, yeah, yes. it's just it it was surprisingly captivating i was i did not expect to like it as much as i did but it was it was so good um and now they said that the the third season is apparently going to be in japan too so i'm really looking forward to that nice yeah one thing that i always like my question about like white lotus is the same thing with succession it's like i really i hear they're good it's like there's so many shows actually right now Mm -hmm. that are out white lotus succession last of us um and a few others that everyone's just like, it's so good. I was stressed mm-hmm. the entire time. I'm like, that is, that is the last thing I need right now. <laughs> I am like, I really, I like, like, yeah, like that's, I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's well acted. I'm sure it's well written. Mm. I'm sure it's well produced. I'm sure all the things, but like, like there was that one episode of the last of us that everyone was talking about. And they're like, I was crying so much at the end. And I'm like, okay, you've actually told me, this is the, you gave me the reason why I don't want to watch the show. <laughs> like I, I do not like I, I not to say that there's nothing. I want to be clear. Like, I think there's uh, it is it is valid and wonderful. that There are shows that can make people feel like that. Mm. And that's not to say that I always don't want that, that I don't want to uh, enjoy it. But I think it's weird, like, especially with Twitter, there's this sense of like it's either all or nothing. It's like, yeah, yeah. I can acknowledge that these things are great and well done. Like lot, lo, what Lotus looks beautiful. Look, I've mm. heard only good things about it. Um, but it's like, this is not what I, a show that I actively want to watch right now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people will take it as like, well, why don't you like good things? I'm like, why are you making it? A, I don't <laughs> like, this. No. It's, I just don't want to watch it right now mm. or ever. It might not be what I want to watch. Yeah, it's like, yeah. do you know how much content there is? Like I'm like I'm really enjoying Star Trek Picard. Like that's a fun show, but also it does it. It's like the kind of stress that I'm like, oh, that was fun. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, like I love Ted Lasso because it feels like a warm hug, and that's kind of mm. where I'm at right now. I mean, mind you, like one of my favorite shows is Breaking Bad and and Better Call Saul, and they're like the most stressful fucking shows you've ever seen mm. in your life. Mm. Um, but yeah, I feel like uh, I want I, I want to make that distinction of like I don't think they're bad, but I just don't want to put myself through that right no, now. No, I totally so. get that. I mean, like that's why I just like you know I'm you know doing a Scrubs rewatch for like the ninetieth time because it's a fun show oh and I like and I like putting it yeah. on the background as I'm doing other stuff and um <clears throat> and I will say though the White Lotus you know comparing to like The Last of Us or Succession it is it it 
it's also kind of like heavy content, but it's delivered in a way that's much more light, if that makes sense. Like it's it's mm-hmm. a lot more consumable than I didn't feel stressful at all watching it. Um, it was yeah. just very engaging. Gotcha. Yeah, there's also something about like the like let's watch all these white people be mean to each other, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need that right now. It's like, oh great, like, like I get, I'm an America guy. It's I get a lot of white people being mean to each other all the time. Thank you. That was another really good, like, well, that's the thing I really liked about the the first season, especially because it's all about like mm. class and um, and yeah. colonialism and like all this stuff going on in there. And and, and the second season is just all about sex, basically. Uh, but there's some yeah. of that class stuff, too, but it's basically just all about sex. But it was gotcha. it was really good. It was really enjoyable. And it was weird because on HBO Max, it's like classified. And the first trailer, too, I saw it seemed like it was partly a comedy but it's really not so i'm yeah. not sure why they classify it like that i yeah i found out that it's like a murder mystery and i was like i knew that like it's, someone it, i, I it, know that I, I mean there's a murder in the first episode and then you find yeah. out who dies in the last episode but it's not at all like you don't really care about the murder mystery it's just more like it's just like the impetus to start it off to like bookend the show more or less. yeah Gotcha. Yeah. No. And I know who dies in both because I, I, again, I wasn't, it was like, I looked at the show. I'm like, this looks nice, but it's not something that I'm going to watch. But I try because of the job to like be as plugged in on, you know, the things that I might need to talk about. Um, Sometimes much to my detriment, like I really did not want to watch 1923, but I watched all of 1923. Um, It's a show. (laughs) <laughs> it's your grandma's game of thrones um and uh so it's like um like i know about like who dies and what, what lotus and again like I'm, I'm again i i this is not being disparaging like it just i'm sure it's done really really well for all the reasons you've you've listed but it's just like ugh, do i need to do i want to no no i that? get like, that yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah it's like i'll watch i'll watch the mandalorian and be you know watching uh grogu and mm-hmm. I've been sleeping that. on that. I got to catch up on that. I've only seen the first episode of the new season so far. I, uh, I, yeah. I mean, have you have you watched Andor yet? I've halfway. Yeah, finish Andor first. That okay. is okay. that is that. What's great about Andor is like it is. I mean, every three episodes is an arc, and once you kind of get into that rhythm, you kind of get it. But like, it is such good television. Like, it's the best thing on Disney Plus. Uh, period marvel or star wars it's just so well done it's so well done it all comes together complex characters that like and also really good legacy characters like mon mothma is a perfect example of like how you take a legacy character make them a part of a larger narrative and it's not just fan service it is this meaningful story about this mm-hmm. and this it's, this character just happens to be mon mothma so mm-hmm. okay yeah all right uh, yeah I'm, i've got to get back into it and now that i finally finished white lotus now i can looking for something else to watch. So I'll definitely be checking that out. Um, but anyway, like we mentioned earlier today, we are talking about the, uh, the 2011 green Hornet movie, uh, starring Seth Rogen and Jay Chow. And this, I had the idea to do this episode. Cause I think another time when you were on, I think it was the man of steel episode. You had mentioned that, uh, you're actually, uh, you're actually a fan of this movie or a defender of it. Or I can't remember exactly what you had said, but it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm just like, Okay, that's and that that's stuck in the back of my mind. Cause I remember when you said that, I'm like, really, <laughs> that movie? And then I'm like, yeah. <clears throat> but we had done this before yeah, because it, 
a while back we had had uh, Liam Kerrigan on and he came on to talk about the, the original Power Rangers movie. And he had mentioned also in passing that he's a defender of Superman four. So I'm like, all right, well, let's have him back on and let's ha- have him defend Superman four. And um, it was interesting to revisit that movie and find some things uh, that I didn't see about it, that I, that actually liked mm. about it. Um, and, and, and to talk about that. And so I thought it'd be an interesting exercise to do the same thing with the green Hornet movie, because I did not like it when it came out, when I first saw it. Um, But going into it, I was actually very intrigued by it. Um, I'd seen some, uh, I'd found out about, you know, Seth Rogen, how he lost all this weight. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, it looks like he's taking it pretty seriously. So I was really keen to see what he was going to do with it. Um, And I was disappointed when I saw it, but it was still interest worth it to go back and, and revisit i thought uh but anyway what, what was your take on it when you first saw it uh well it was interesting we sort of been sitting this before but like i remember when it came out and it was really divisive amongst the sort of pope author community that you and i were a part of mm-hmm. um you know there were some like ron fortier uh who were like i who in this uh blog post just basically said i refuse to watch it like this is an offense like how dare they i mean ron did write the green and the hornet back for uh now comics now back comics, in the yeah, day yeah. yeah so he had like a sort of in he was invested in that capacity but it was very ron but also very uh indicative of a section of the fan base that just like you have to like look at this movie the only green hornet that's correct is my green hornet like Mm -hmm. just a very very narrow vision uh for the character um and there was derek who was more open-minded to go check it out and there's me who was more sort of defending the idea that i think it's a mistake to necessarily say that like there's only one way you should approach certain characters Mm -hmm. um i think I always the the example I always give is that you have the Adam West Batman, right? That you know the fact that the, one of the reasons why Batman is such a big part of our uh, zeitgeist, our cultural zeitgeist, is that Batman had this really goofy show that ran for three seasons in the '60s, and it it sort of g- gave you a, a sort of extreme to go to. Then you can sort of create the extreme of uh of uh god what's his name uh michael keaton's batman then you can have uh christopher nolan's batman and then you can have you know ben affleck and you can have uh robert pattinson the reason why batman exists and it has existed for so long is that we have all these really interesting variations of the character and then in animation Um, you've got like the brave and the bold you've got the batman the animated series you've got the batman animated series yeah and all that kind of stuff like yeah. i remember with batman yeah exactly with batman the brave and the bold like i remember that coming out me like you did, like i was very much in the nolan camp like you can't do it's batman's a serious character don't be mm-hmm. goofy and then i remember watching batman the brave and the bold and being like i'm wrong i'm a hundred percent this is so much fun this mm-hmm. is such a fun show I get it now. Like I was like, I, I get it. Like it, mm-hmm. it allowed me to have this variation of the character and my stance on the green Hornet just based like even before the film came out, it was like, you know what, whatever keeps this character alive, do mm-hmm. it. Like, let's have a version of this with Seth Rogen be a, a comedic character. Whereas Ron was like, no, you can't make a comedy. It's not right to make a comedy where mm-hmm. I'm just like, 
you know, let them, it, it's got it. You got to try. Like mm-hmm. the reason, the only way that you can keep these characters alive is if you're trying different things. I think like, I, I think about it a lot with um, like even Star Wars, like, or Doctor Who or whatever. Like, I think every sort of major franchise needs a period of like, where they're just exploring that they have like a wilderness era that like they can sort of figure out what the boundaries are Mm-hmm. for this franchise you know um star wars had the expanded universe doctor who had a new version of adventures um you have now like you have with batman you have the extreme darkness of the Snyder films which you know i i don't care for mm-hmm. um and base if you're listening to our man of steel episode you know that like my my sort of like feelings with man of steel was like oh here's a new version of superman we haven't had this version and now that like we see we saw the sort of the the full exploration of of that superman i can say like no that's not where you want to go i'm looking forward to james gunn's superman because it's like oh what happens when hope isn't cool anymore and you have this guy who's like all about hope like yeah that that's what i'm looking for um you know so it's like the same sort of thing where i'll say like i'm glad even though we and i know we talked about this on the man of steel episode yeah it's like i did not i'm not happy with batman versus superman i think that while the justice league snyder cut is better than the than the joss whedon cut you know i can at least like i i'm glad those exist because now i know like there's this version here and that Mm -hmm. version doesn't work for me um and this um but i can know what i do want i know what i like from this character so green hornet it's like we haven't seen this version and i remember it being very not a hundred percent effusive but i if i remember my i can probably find it on my computer my review of it um probably more effusive about it than i was uh like if i was being if i that more effusive about it than i am now Mm -hmm. uh because it was sort of in reaction to the how dare you how dare you do something different Mm -hmm. mentality um which i think is is restrictive and silly um so yeah, I I think I I remember liking it, not loving it um, when I first saw it, and you know revisiting it literally before we started recording. Um, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting in in almost less of a superhero story and more of of a of a snapshot of a time when. Uh, the the superhero industrial complex as it were was still forming <clears throat> um and how hard it was to find the right um find the right formula for it right right yeah um so yeah no, no i get what on, you're saying like, especially with the especially with the reaction part because i've definitely had times like that like i can think back to um the angley hulk film or um yeah. the daredevil movie or um superman returns where the the fan reaction was overwhelmingly negative to those movies. Whereas when I watched it, I'm like, I kind of like these. And then after, and then in response to that, I kind of became like this stalwart defender of them because I'm like, because of that reaction to just like how negative the, the other side was on it. So yeah, I totally get that too. Um, What, uh, before we dive too deep into the the movie, uh, how familiar, how tuned into the green Hornet were you before the movie? Like, had you watched the old show? Do you, writing the comics or listening to the radio programs, anything like that. Uh, probably more familiar with it than most cats our age. Um, because my, my dad grew up with a serial. So I think I watched some of the serials as a kid. I watched, uh, some of the 60 show as a kid. Um, 
it was it fresh in my mind? Not really. I mean, obviously, I watched the Batman mm-hmm. crossover, um, which is literally like something that will never happen again in live action until someone buys out the Green La- the Green Hornet. Um, almost said Green Llama. I really want to. I really want to write a. I how familiar am I? I really want to write a Green Llama Green Hornet crossover. I have an idea mm-hmm. for that, and I have soft pitched it to Moonstone a couple of times. Um, I really want to do it as a radio drama. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So I haven't listened to the, the audio drama, the radio drama. I, um, you know, I I n- always knew the basic idea, and I think it's a really interesting idea. The idea, the conceit that to be a superhero to be a hero they're pretending to be villains that's a really clever take and obviously Mm -hmm. the bruce lee of it all so yeah Yeah. i was pretty familiar with it but not like not encyclopedic yeah yeah i didn't have a whole lot of connection to it i had um it was i i like vague memories of maybe catching an episode here or there when i was a kid and then when um kevin smith was involved i got i got interested in 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 it at that point when he came out with the the comic version of his script. Um, and I read that and I'm like, Oh, this is pretty good. Uh, entertaining enough. And then I, um, when I started to know Ron, I went back and I tracked down the, the now comics he did. I read a bunch of those. Um, those are really good too. Uh, and I had seen a, f- and since then I've seen a few episodes. In fact, after I watched the movie last night, I went back and I rewatched the, the first episode of the TV show just to, to have a better comparison of it and a better, and what I, one of the things I thought was really interesting was at this point in time, when this movie came out, You've got the very Batman is like the very dark thing with the, doing the Nolan stuff. Dark Knight had just come out. Yep. Dark Knight Rises was uh, two years down the line. And and then you have this very comedic take on the Green Hornet, which is funny because you watch 66 Batman and 66 Green Hornet, which were both produced by William Dozier. And it's like the yep. opposite, where in that one, it's Batman that's the campy thing and every and is is treated more tongue in cheek. Whereas the Green Hornet, that's right, yeah, it was actually pretty damn serious for 1960. Yeah, um, so I thought that was a funny little um, uh, parallel between the two. But uh, so that that was kind of like my so I, I'm not I again I don't have a whole lot of history with the Green Hornet so. I wasn't watching it from the perspective of someone who is like, I can't believe they did this to my favorite character type of thing. But, but it was just more trying to watch it as a movie in its own. And I didn't like it at when I first saw it. And then when I watched it last night, there are some things that I can find that are really interesting in it. And then there are other things Mm -hmm. that I'm just like, I don't know why you're doing this. And so that was kind of, it was just like this mixed bag with it. Yeah. I think it's interesting. It's like it, it, I was in just watching it now. It's, I got the sense like this movie was edited within an inch of its life. Mm-hmm. Like there, it was a different movie that they, I feel like they were trying to do. I think it was not poorly cast cause it's a really good cast, mm-hmm. but I think it was incorrectly cast. Like, like looking into like who almost played Britt Reed, you're like, Oh, that kind of would have been more interesting. And you know, especially knowing Seth Rogen's career since mm-hmm. with the boys and all these other sort of, comic properties he knows how to tell uh superhero stories oh, stories yeah, that yeah. um sort of like poke that are sort of uh, like both poke fun at and um play with the genre i feel like in almost every respect like everyone involved with this project almost was the wrong person to be involved with this project mm-hmm. like you could have taken the original script which you know i don't know 
how much of that actually survived to what was produced because some some of the stuff that was in the, the film it's like wow this is really just cliche mm-hmm. um you know uh what like if it was a different director even though michelle gondry was like on and off this project for years you know um since like 95 i think um you know i think everyone took it seriously but i think it was like the wrong Mm-hmm. ingredients for the wrong recipe or something like i don't know the i don't know the analogy i'm trying to make i'll figure it out eventually i'll figure it out in like the middle of the night and scream it um like oh god um <laughs> the, the wrong recipe anyway so basically it's like it, it, there are so many things that michelle gondry does that are like oh that is visually interesting like mm-hmm. the way the sites uh the the fights are staged some of those sort of visual effects and i'm like oh you know the i I don't see that in uh, modern superhero films, you know, mm-hmm. like, Oh, that's a really interesting take on other things. I'm like, that's, I, I understand what you're going for, but it's not effective. Um, it's weird. Like there are some scenes that I'm like, I like the scene a lot. Um, There's some moments I'm like, yeah, this is really fun to watch. Um, you know, I like Seth Rogen as an actor. I mean, he's mm-hmm. great in the Fablemans. Um, and again, I think Seth Rogen, really everyone in that film uh you know has had the best career since then i think he took yeah. a lot of learnings from that film yeah yeah um so yeah and i i just think that this film was just it is a really interesting snapshot of 2011 early on in the rise of the marvel cinematic universe um the like end of the dark knight uh trilogy to your point um where people saw that there was a market for superhero films Mm -hmm. and uh, a market for superhero films that actually meant big budgets and big names. Um, And I think, you know, for a number of reasons, they produced something that wasn't, that doesn't hold, stand the test of time, but, but it mm. is, it is interesting to watch. I think that is the, like the, the biggest thing, just keep revisiting it. And like, yeah, there's, this can only have been made in 2010. Uh, if that makes sense. No. Yeah. And I think, um, especially when you're looking at in comparison, to those early Marvel films and what DC was doing with the dark Knight stuff, it's, um, it's an interesting snapshot because, this it's kind of like trying to find that line because the early Marvel films were, were much more serious than they were than they mm-hmm. ended up becoming in post Avengers, post Guardians of the Galaxy, where they they leaned into the the lightness and the humor a little bit more, and whereas then yeah the Nolan films were obviously much darker, um, and this is kind of like this it it's kind of like this attempt to see how we can do with uh, a more humorous take on superheroes, but. Mm-hmm. It, I don't feel like it was the right. And I think a big part of the reason is there's a lot of things that work here. Like I love that, you know, when I first saw this, I hated Christoph Waltz in it, but when I watched it now last night, I actually kind of like the fact that he's a super villain who's having going through a midlife crisis and trying to like mm. reinvent himself as a, this crime boss yeah. who's trying to reinvent himself as a scary super. I found that actually kind of entertaining. I don't think it completely yeah. works throughout the whole film, but it's, it's a fun idea that they play with a little bit. Yeah. Um, and also the idea of because the whole basic conceit of this is, you know, it's kind of like it reminds me of what the 
the urban legend is for the original pitch of Knight Rider, where it's, you know, well, let's just get, um, let's have a guy with a talking car. That way we can get a good actor who can do the voice of the car, and then we can just get some pretty boy to play the play the actor. And then that, and it doesn't matter right. if he can act or not, because we got the, the guy who's doing the voice acting doing all the heavy lifting. And that's kind of like the urban okay. legend of how they got, you know, uh, William Daniels and um, uh, David Hasselhoff for Knight Rider. I don't know how true that is or anything like that, but it, it holds up. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, it's kind of yeah. like a, a similar idea here where, you know, you've got you've got this rich playboy guy, but he can't do shit for himself. All he can yeah. do is basically fund it. So then you've got the the guy who is actually the superhero who's Kato doing all the action stuff. And it's a fun conceit yeah. to play with it, especially with this idea of him being like this spoiled rich kid. Um, but I think the biggest problem with this is. And, and I'm, I think a big problem, too, going to this movie that a lot of people had, it was a very visceral negative reaction, just the idea of Seth Rogen playing this character. And because yeah. I know a lot of those same people despised Seth Rogen just based on and, Right. Which I never got. Like, I think Seth Rogen, I mean, he's not he doesn't have a whole lot of range, but he's entertaining. I love watching him in, his, in these movies. And yeah, I haven't seen the favorite. I will point on that. Yeah. I was going to say, like, I will push back, like. That was one of those moments where I think Seth Rogen's, I mean, I, he doesn't have as wide a range as other actors, but the Fablemans was like, oh yeah, like you are actually a really good actor. Mm-hmm. Um, there is just this one scene and I just bought the Fablemans cause it's one of those movies where um, uh, it sounds so weird to say, but like it, it sounds weird to say as a white passing, uh, you know, White, white passing male cis male uh of jewish descent um like it was a one of the few times in recent memory that i i personally felt very seen in films um which sounds really really weird to say right now uh in general but it be, because it, it was a but it's a hyper specific sort of and i know we're kind of gunning up track here but the fablements is a really good film um it is it, it felt very hyper specific to my upbringing and the the need and to the uncontrollable need to tell a story um something that like sits outside like sits so deep inside you that everyone else around you and your family will never truly understand you um and that like the need to be creative and you know have a creative life means that like you're going to be living something that's left of center to everyone else and it's like ah that's uh, me <laughs> Um, and there's this great moment with uh, the sort of Spielberg character and um, Seth Rogen's character. And it's like, yeah, this it's so complex, that relationship. And you're like, oof, what a scene. What a scene. So, uh, yeah, like, I yeah, but to your point, like, I think a lot of people at the time just had a visceral reaction to Seth Rogen as this the stoner comedies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's this up, like who is this kid? He doesn't know this character. Like George Clooney, who was originally going to play him at one point mm-hmm. been in the role. I think there would have been a lot more, uh, positive to it. Um, but yeah, I think the Seth Rogen of it all just meant that like, there's a pulp fan base who just would not who mm-hmm. just hated the film on, on existence. And, but to your earlier point, I, I, I agree. Like I like the conceit that like Cato's the hero. Mm-hmm. And like, I think they lean a little too into the bumbling uh, doofus thing on Seth Rogen's end. Uh, 
And I think that's kind of like, you can sort of see like there's a very narrow line they needed to walk on this mm-hmm. and they just kind of like went a little too far on either end, yeah. making it like a, an unbalanced film. It's like all the conceits are right. Like you're like, yeah, okay. Have him like have Cato be the hero. That's an interesting take on things, but maybe don't make Britt Reed an idiot, like mm-hmm. make him well, more well-meaning. Um, so yeah, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, I I felt I think that's probably the biggest weakness of this is probably Seth Rogen's casting in it. Um and I mean I think if he had just done this in the writing role and you had gotten someone else like George Clooney or Jake Gyllenhaal was also rumored to be in the the Kevin Smith version and there are a few other actors that have, that were up for the role that would have probably done a better job. Um or you know even someone like um John Hamm, like he who can easily switch yeah. between comedy and drama, like that would he would have been a really interesting choice for that too. But yeah, I just don't yeah. think Seth Rogen, especially at this point in his career, his range is very limited, and yeah, he just can't really. He just doesn't really seem to know how to play anything but the the doofus, and that's a big problem yes. with this movie. Yeah, agreed. And again, I I don't think it's, I I I think it'd be wrong to say that he is he's he he did something bad mm-hmm. because i think that's what he was kind of hired to do that's what right. he was known for at the time so it's sort of like um god it's what's a good analogy it, well it's good like, analogy you know, is uh joel schumacher's batman films right he was hired right. to he he you know he wanted to do like a serious take on year one and warbird was like no we want something campy so he gave him campy yeah. And the same thing. It's like, I think that like, you know, you, you hire Seth Rogen to play Seth Rogen character. He mm-hmm. plays a Seth Rogen character at that point. It's like, yeah, he's, you're going to get a Seth Rogen character. Right. Um, yeah. So I, I think that was one of the biggest, like, again, I, I don't want to say it's a mistake. I think what's interesting about this film is that I feel like everyone is doing their best version of the story. Uh, but they're all in different films. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had to kind of cobble together. I feel like Cameron Diaz got some really clunky lines. I think that whoever like the script was like, I am like uh, uh, his temp secretary or something like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is a pickup. You wrote this is this is this is not the original draft because then you have like a scene later on where like she's basically a reporter at that point. You're like, something's off here. Something is like, I feel like there's a lot of. And again, this is, I, I don't know. I don't know the story production, but I, I could like, I feel like there's a lot of reshoots trying to like sort of bring this film together. Yeah. Um, Seth Rogen had said really that work. this film was a nightmare. So that's, I think there's definitely something to that. He wasn't what, more specific than said? that. Um, so okay. I was just looking at the trivia on IMDb and he said it was a nightmare and um, he had chalked it up to studio executives paying little attention to the most expensive portions of the film and it's inflated budget. Um, that's all it says on mm-hmm. IMDb trivia, but, um, but yeah, that was, and, uh, I think he had said like, even if he had been offered a, if they had done a sequel, he probably wouldn't have done it just because of all the, how much of a pain in the ass it was to do this, to do it. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean like the Cameron Diaz part of it, she's again, this is, there's like these elements of a good film, like her, you know, you know, balking at the fact when he says, and when, when Seth Rogen's calling her old and all that kind of stuff, or when, you know, uh, you know, she reads in the riot act when he tries to kiss, kiss her and that kind of stuff. And they don't go into the, the regular cliched superhero 
you know, and his and his girl Friday having a romance type thing, right? They're they're fighting back against those things, which is good, and I like that. But it's it's that then you pair it with other stuff, and it's just like like you said, it feels like different movies. Yeah, I feel like it, you know the I like the the calling her old. I'm like, oof, this is like that's 2011. This is humor that would never mm. fly today. But also, I think it was the thing that I found really interesting with the Cameron Diaz plot that just sort of like is there but they don't really use it is this idea of again the girl friday is like the mastermind like she is like mm. coming up with how they should the green horse should act to sort of like fight crime right um kato is uh the the the, the real hero in like the green hornet's the face of this operation mm. um that's really interesting that's a really interesting take yeah um you know, it is completely left to center. It's not unlike anything we're seeing today. Um, and it just doesn't all kind of come together, you know? And I, I was wondering, I was like, how, I, you know, not necessarily rewriting this, but I think one of the hardest problems, one of the biggest problems with this movie is that it's an origin film. Mm-hmm. Um, because, there's that one scene where he's just like, what if we're the bad guys and we're doing like, it's like the logic on that. I'm like, how did you get to that point? Like it's a real reach. It's a real like, and there's a lot of stuff at the beginning of the film. That's just like, this is clunky. And but that line specifically stood on like, this is a, you are reaching here just to justify this. It's almost like I, I think even the TV show, and if I were to like, if I were to make a Green Hornet film or something or, t- or write something today, it's like you just, uh, I can't pronounce that word. You it's skip. Shoot. Thank you. Um, you just issue the, uh, the, 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 the origin because it, it's almost more interesting to dive in mm-hmm. and portray this Green Hornet as this vicious killer or this vicious, um, crime lord and then learning that he's actually the hero yeah like if you were to have like it, what it, what if you made uh the cameron diaz character who's i can't remember her name lenore chase um, but you or chase lenore or chase, chase. Like, what if you yeah. make Lin- yeah you make lenore uh case or chase uh the the protagonist of the story um and you know she is investigating the green hornet she's a reporter and you know the green hornet is this criminal mastermind and he's tearing his way through chicago because that's where he originally started um and she's working at the daily sentinel and she has like this relationship can be romance whatever like with Britt reed then she finds that like Britt reads the green hornet and then that's a shocker and then it's like wait a minute like and then she realizes that no, he's actually the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it is sort of a similar problem, I think. Like sometimes with Superman, it's like because we we see the story through his point of view, right? For us, it's sort of like, well, of course he's going to win, um, or of course he's boring. But like if he's like set something outside of the character and help us give that perspective, maybe we'd understand the story better, but because we're in this story with Britt Reed and discovering like, Oh, I'll be a villain to be a hero. Mm. You're like, okay, how does that logic happen? Um, you know, it, it almost would work better if, you know, she's like, well, why are you the villain? It's because we tried to do it the right way. 
So, but that wasn't working. So we started mm-hmm. doing it the wrong way. That's all you need. Yeah. That yeah. like that, that, that one line just solves all the, you know, you just, it answers all like the plot holes where it's just like, it's just these leaps in logic that you have to sort of see them go through. It's also um, weird because they devote, me. they devote odd amounts of time to the wrong aspects of the origin. Right. Like they, yeah, they spend so much time on that aspect of him being like, what if we were the villains? And like you said, that's like the easiest thing to do. Like you just one line of dialogue and you got it out of the way, but they spend so much time on that to the point where then they're driving around trying to find what, where do we go to find crime? And and like you guys, but then, and then you look at the other stuff, like the whole, all the gadgets and stuff they make. It's like, oh yeah, your father had me do this stuff to his car. It's like, Okay, why? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Yeah. All that stuff is completely glossed over. Yeah. I feel again, I think there's like there something happened in the edit where like that was there's a reason why he had he had him build all those things, but they just cut it for time or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, I I think yeah, they to your point, like they focus on all the wrong things uh in the early origin stuff. Um and I think again, this is like David Harbour's a district attorney, which I was like, right, David Harbour's in this movie. Um, yeah, my my wife pointed that know. up. She's like, she's like, oh, uh, she's like, oh, that David Harbour. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, <laughs> I didn't even recognize him. Yeah, um, like it's it's almost like the he has like the almost inverse storyline of Britt Reed, where he's like this, you know, this do go to district attorney that starts using bad guys to mm-hmm. do the right thing. Um, that's not really explored. I think this like. Again, the ingredients are there to make a really interesting Green Hornet film, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think they necessarily succeed. Again, I think I'm glad this movie exists because I think it really gives us a lot of insight into what makes a successful superhero film in general, mm-hmm. and like le- like seeing how uh, studios were still learning. It's a really interesting snapshot. Um, but at the end of the day, like I I don't necessarily uh you know reject what i wrote whatever it is that i wrote Mm -hmm. it's been how many 12 years um what i wrote my original review but i was i just i've cooled on it it's just Mm -hmm. like for all the reasons that we've we've listed it's like the sort of how dare you not let someone try something attitude like i'm going to be a Mm -hmm. big defender of this because you don't like it uh and there's also just the seeing how superhero films have grown and changed and how, you know, from both Ant-Man and Shazam too, which again, both films I actually enjoyed. I actually enjoyed Ant-Man more than most people. Um, You're talking about the original one or the, no, the uh, quantum media. Okay. Yeah. Like I did too. uh, I, yeah, it has, it had issues, but it's, it's, I, I enjoyed it a lot more than a lot of people were complaining about. Yeah, I was like, everyone's like really mad at like I actually went to see it a screening. Like some people, are like we hated that. I'm like, I was fine. And it's, and it's like, funny because well, you're you're not the biggest Marvel fan to speak to say that gently. Yeah, I'm not, and I mean, part of that comes from just working in the industry um, and knowing how the sausage is made. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, the other part of it is it's like what I liked about. Quantum Mania was like, oh, it's it was funny. I was sorry, I was actually on set the other day, and they were like, someone was like, they just like, why did you like, why did you like Black Panther Wakanda Forever less than Quantum Mania? And I was mm-hmm. just like, because you know, it, it like 
Black Panther, the first film, is one of the best movies that Marvel put out, mm-hmm. period. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's like it is an A-level film. It could have been an A+, plus, but that train fight at the end really still bugs me. Um, that was like the like the dip in it. I'm like, just I don't need to see the CGI. I just just go let them fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like it's it is. It, I'll put it like it's it, it's essentially an A plus film. It is you know one of their best movies. And then mm-hmm. Wakanda Forever comes out, and it's such a dramatic step down for me. And I was just like that. It's so disappointing because all the stuff that's really interesting in that movie, like the the, the using the meta text of uh chadwick boseman's passing is really interesting and all that stuff is like that's what i want to watch and then namor comes in and i'm like right you have to feed the the beast um so like uh the first two ant-man films were always kind of small and light and fun mm-hmm. um i think the first one's still the best um you know and this one you know i think it i think loki did a better job of telling the story mm-hmm. than quantum mania did like who is our big villain oh it's kang mm-hmm. uh for we'll see how long that lasts yeah. um and oof. um yeah yeah for Don't anyone who, women, who, who doesn't know like uh, apparently jonathan majors just got arrested like yesterday for um uh, yeah yesterday domestic abuse and so like we don't know yeah. the full story this is uh agent yeah. says there he's innocent so but just like disclaimers and all that we're recording literally the day after this has happened yeah i mean you know I, the fact that like it's just that, that whole story like again we don't know all the information but like no matter what you know don't don't hit women yeah, don't hit yeah. people in general yeah, yeah don't 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 be a dick um point is it's like like loki did a better job of introducing this plot line than quantumania did but at the same time, it was such a like a minor step down, relatively speaking, from the previous Ant-Man films and sort of like where I am as a as a Marvel fan. Uh, I was like, all right, whatever. Like, that's fun. Like mm-hmm. that. Like, whereas, like, you know, comparatively, like Multiverse of Madness, I really don't like that film. I kind of fucking hate it because it's like you took like the most boring version of this story and then you like completely shot on Wanda's uh, on WandaVision's ending again, which I have issues with. So. Quantum Media, fine. It's fine. Uh, it's it is better. I, but where was I going with this? Um, <laughs> somehow this know. came. From, somehow Some... this came out of a Green Hornet discussion. So yeah, so Green Hornet is interesting because it's like, I, 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 you could sort of see them sort of learning how to make a superhero film by family. Like they, they mm-hmm. I don't think it succeeds, but it's interesting to see like Sony, cause Sony produced this, like trying to make their own superhero film and failing spectacularly. So you can sort of see like, all right, why did this one fail? And why did these other ones succeed? And now like where we are, where quantum media is doing poorly at the box office, Shazam's bombing, which is unfortunate because I really like Shazam. Um, and you sort of see like now the audience is sort of like, like, for a lot of reasons is leaving superheroes behind like black Adam. God, what a bad movie. Um, <laughs> you know, like they're sort of like, they're forgetting the lessons of green Hornet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like you're, 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 they're putting so much money into these movies, but they're not necessarily. Oh man. Shit. Yeah. So think about this. 
Part of the reason why Green Hornet failed so spectacularly, um, even though it made a lot of money, if you look at the Wikipedia article, I'm, and I'm, I, you know, I would have to do more research on this, but you know, it did relatively well in the box office. Mm-hmm. But because they spent so much money on this and did the 3D conversion, which so such a 2011 thing, yeah, um, you know, because it. it made less money than they could have if they had just done a little bit smaller of a movie um, or, you know, set it in Chicago or whatever it was. Right, yeah, because they filmed do. it in L.A. Yeah, it was um, $120 million the budget, according to IMDb, and worldwide gross $227 million. So, so it, I so, mean, it did make money. And, they had, and yeah, I think one of the producers had said, like, if, it, if we had not done the 3D conversion, if we had not shot in L.A., we would have definitely gotten a sequel. Yeah. So it's and then you look at what happens now with, you know, the, the, it's clearly that film was shot like was reshot a lot and reedited a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know how well the script was done, but you look at where a lot of superhero films are today. And I think Marvel is dealing with this right now where they're going into production without scripts. They're reediting and reshooting significant portions of their films. Mm-hmm. Um, and now they're spending basically like the way Marvel makes a movie is let's go in without a, uh, with a little bit of script. We'll shoot it, edit it together. It doesn't work. And then spend millions of dollars to reshoot the film again and put mm-hmm. it all together. And obviously that worked for a long time. I mean, I think it's worked for, you know, a majority of their films, arguably. Right. But like you look at like Love and Thunder and like what is going on with that movie? There's like five different movies in that. Like we mm-hmm. have like I, uh, one of my colleagues at Vanity Fair. Um, I think it was Jackie. Maybe it was Jackie. Maybe it was Fumi. Um, did uh, Taco Atiti uh, notes in a scene for Love and Thunder? And they're like, does this? They're like pointing out like that. There's like one of these scenes is a composite of two different scenes but because mm-hmm. of digital technology. They have like one actor from another scene and another actor from another version of the scene together. Mm-hmm. You know, like where. Uh, Cause that's what, that's what they do. They just kind of put it all together. Um, and you can start seeing the seams and that's the forgetting the lessons of green Hornet where you can mm-hmm. like have, there's like one scene in the green Hornet where she, uh, Cameron Diaz comes in, in this one outfit and it's all these like ties and she, he picks a tie up. Right. And then they show her in that outfit. And I think, uh, Seth Rogen's in the, the same outfit that he's wearing in the, that scene. Uh, and like during this montage, like getting a call from David Harbour's character. And it's like, it's clear that like they took this scene, this thing from the end of the movie and put it in the beginning mm-hmm. um, or like vice versa. And it's like, Oh, you really cobble this together. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that's, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Galaxy brain. <laughs> um well uh let's talk about some of the things that still do work and i think one of the things that really does is jay chow's performance i think he is without a doubt the mvp oh yeah definitely he is without a doubt the mvp of this movie for me i Mm. thought he you know he 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 nails the action he he's got this um i he he really nails this this part of this guy who's like this you know this long-suffering you know hate to use the word manservant but you know this long-suffering aid to these two dicks basically (laughs) yeah i i he didn't work so well for me and i think partially because it's like i really wish it had been 
Stephen Chow, who was originally cast in the role, right, and had to drop out because of uh of scheduling. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think he was fine. I don't know. I, I, it was clear that like English is a second language, which is not a problem in uh necessarily, but I think, I don't know. I I didn't see that sort of like long suffering thing. Like I, it was actually, I liked him better when there was like, they're doing the buddy cop thing. Um, and I kind of wish there was more of that. Uh, because I think they lean too heavily on, uh, like them being at odds when they Mm. were best, when they were just like being together. Um, yeah, I think there's a balance that needs to be struck between that because at, at the end of the day, you still have this, especially with the way this movie's set up, you still have this guy who's basically a rich and competent asshole. And he's, you've yeah. got, and then you've got the, the competent guy who has to do all the work basically. Um, so yeah. I think they're, so I think you do need to have an element of that, of that, of them at odds. Although I think to your point, they did overplay it, especially when they get into the whole yeah. forced love triangle thing with Lenore. Yeah. That was just complete. Yeah, it was just complete waste of time. Yeah. It was, it made Brit seem petty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it was, yeah. Yeah. I felt like they needed an excuse to have them be at odds at the end of the movie. So they came up mm-hmm. with that. And it's like, you really didn't need that. You, you, I think, yeah. Yeah. Well, especially because their reconciliation feels very forced. It's like they spent all this yeah. time driving this wedge between them. Yeah. And there's like no time spent on the reconciliation, right? He comes up with them the gun. He's like, I'm really sorry. He's like, I forgive you. And it's like, well, I mean, obviously, if someone's going to point a gun at your head, you're going to tell them you're sorry. Yeah. So like that, that did not felt. And I get I get what they're trying to say is that, oh, he was he had realized that before he had forgiven him or something like that. But that's not portrayed in any believable way in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I really think there is. I don't know if there's a better version I, this is one of those instances like I Release really the Rogan wish I could cut? read the not even the Rogan <laughs> cut. I would love to read the original script, you know, because I think it's there's I remember this is funny. Like I always think of the first Avengers, which is still one of my favorite Marvel films mm-hmm. after it came out. Everyone's like freaking out because it's like, oh, my God, they did it like they fucking mm-hmm. did it like they they, they built this universe. It all worked. Um, even if you look at my Marvel, though, Marvel phase one is sort of like it's one of the weaker phases. Mm-hmm. Um, like it has Iron Man, you know, even though like I really loved first Avenger, but like Thor's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Incredible Hulk is mid at best. Um, and uh, Iron Man 2 is divisive, which I, I kind of like it, but it's also kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, then Avengers comes around, you're like, oh my God, it all works. And someone asks Steven, uh, Steven Rogers, Jesus, uh, Chris, not Evans. Pine. Oh my God. Evans, thank you. Wow. Um, that, I, that was a slip. That's Chris Chris's. Evans. Like, did you, you had too many Chris's? Like, did you know it was going to be this great thing? And he was like, um, you know, sometimes you get these amazing scripts that are like, they're just, I can't believe I'm getting to act in this. And then you see the film final film and you're like, it's terrible. And then sometimes you get these terrible scripts and then you see the final film. It's like the best thing ever made. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you never know. Um, 
so he's like, yeah, I didn't know this was going to be what it was. I, I, you know, I signed this contract. I was part of the movie, uh, but now I'm seeing it like, yeah, I, I had no idea. So I always feel like I would love to see if like you take the script, like does that work better on its own? And if you just taken that script, got a different cast, got a different director or different cast, same director, whatever, like, like, um, different ingredients to make that recipe, uh, would have been a better would have been a better movie like or is like the script are really better like I, my friend patrick i have to i have to ask him about it but like apparently he was saying that um like 47 ronin which is not a good movie he read the uh the novelization of the movie and he's like mm-hmm. the 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 novelization's really good it's like revenge of the sith like revenge of the sith is a mixed bag of films i think kids mm-hmm. who grew up with it think it's the best star wars uh film I can see why they think that. Like, I can, I, I understand why they think that. I loved it at the time. I don't high it, hold it as high of esteem as I did when it first came out. But um, the novelizations, the goat, like the mm-hmm. novelization, is the best version of the story. Um, you know, I remember talking to my girlfriend about it, and we're just like, "Wait, why do people read Star? Like, why is that a thing? Like, like Star Wars novelizations of movies are actually like a big deal because they add nuance and stuff to the stuff of the movies that you've read or the movies that you've seen. Um, it's like this weird exception. Uh, so it's like the same thing. Like, if I would almost like say, like, if I were to take the story from the Green Hornet movie it might be a decent novel. I, mm-hmm. I'm actually wondering if there is a novelization. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, gonna, uh, look it up while we're talking. Taking it back to Captain America as well. Um, did you ever yeah. see the 1990 Captain America with Matt Salinger? And oh, yeah. Cox? oh, yeah. So oh, Ronnie yeah. Cox has apparently said that that script, the original script, was one of the greatest scripts he had ever read. And he had no idea really? how that movie had come out to be such a pile of shit at the end. He's like, because that script, he said, was apparently amazing. So I'm really, I'd be curious to see that. And, you know, I think Alec Baldwin said something similar at one point as well about working on different movies. Like, why why have you worked on, why have you taken on projects that were so obviously terrible from the start? And he's like, well, yeah. actually, it's, it's it's harder to tell when you're just going in on the script. A hundred percent, because you're just like, you don't know. You mm. just don't. Um yeah, I'm looking at Green Hot Cornet novelizations, and all I'm getting is Moonstone stuff. So yeah, probably actually, not. I mean, if you're listening, yeah, there might have been, but I will say, like, if any you're listening to this and you're like, oh, like, I don't know if I really like this movie, but I like this idea of the character. Excuse me, check out, um, you know, Moonstone. One of my my publisher who does the Green Llama. They have a whole series of books um, that are really good. There's the Kevin Smith uh, graphic novel that's really mm-hmm. interesting. And you can even watch the original, like, um, ooh, you can even uh, there's like listen to the original radio dramas. You can listen to uh, watch the original TV show. Um, the Green Hornet, in and of himself, is a really, really interesting character. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, no one's really gotten him just yet. Yeah, and there's been a ton in, of comic stuff, day. like the you know, um, Matt Wagner did Green Hornet year one. You know, Kevin Smith, you'd mentioned. Yeah. Um, Michael Uslin had done some uh, Green Hornet stuff as well. Mark Wade has done some stuff. So th- there's a yeah. lot of um, a lot of really talented people have worked on this character. And like, you know, I'm not sure how available the original um, the the 1960s TV show is, but if you can find a way to watch that, it's like I said, I just rewatched the the first episode last night, and 
it's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's pretty serious when you consider that it's made by the same people who did Batman 66. And yet this is a, a much more serious version of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, like it is, it looks great. It's Bruce Lee. Um, There's actually, if you ever watched once upon a time in the Hollywood, they actually like reference that Mm. pretty directly. Um, It was a, I mean, it only lasted um, one season, just one one season, one season, but it's like one, it's 26 episodes, just is like basically three seasons today. Um, And I, it was, I can't remember the reason why it was canceled, but it was very well received. I mean, I know that whenever I talk about people, uh, whenever I talk to people about it, like it's still very warmly remembered. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I don't know why it was only lasted for one season, but it, it, again, it, it was, it, it, it's for many people. It is like the best version of the show uh, of the, of the character. Um, Van Williams is, as the green horn, Bruce Lee as Cato. Um, yeah, it is in many ways, still the standard version of this. Yeah. I'm not sure why it was. I'm trying to look it up because, um, maybe it was a rights issue. I'm not sure. But I'm not, or maybe Who it was knows. just too expensive. Uh, um, it might have been it. I think. Yeah, it I think been, it just. Sorry, it. Yeah, it. Um, in fact, they didn't even end the the last four episodes or something like that. It was, uh, or something like that. Like there was some episodes, or I don't. know. But for whatever reason, um, oh, Dozier found itself at odds with his boss at ABC Network from the from the outset. So apparently, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff going on as well. Um, and and I think also just like maybe also might have been the popularity of Batman 66 because people don't remember now, but that was you're talking about Batmania. That was huge back in the day. Yeah. And Green Hornet was this much smaller type of thing where it was taking itself much more seriously. So I guess maybe there just wasn't that same kind of appetite for that style of superhero back in those days. I mean, it, which is interesting considering they crossed over, as we mentioned before. <laughs> but I think it I mean, it might have been. Um, not so much an appetite, but maybe it was just like they really wanted another success like Batman. Right. Yeah. Um, and it didn't get those numbers. So they're like, you know, or we want it to be like this. And the network's like, we want it to be like Batman 66. And he and were, didn't call Batman 66. Well, I mean, you can kind of compare it to, might also be a similar situation where, you know, you had Smallville, which is this huge runaway success for the WB layer CW. And then they, they yeah. oh, let's keep doing this. And then they try Birds of Prey and it and it bombs right away. And yeah. of course, that very different levels of quality with those two shows. But but I yeah. think it's a very similar type of idea that you see happen. And I mean, you're even kind of seeing this now with, um, you know, the CW. They've had all this success and all this praise with Superman and Lois, and then they try Gotham Knights, and it's um, it's just getting you know torn apart online. Which yeah. I haven't seen it, but well, I, yeah. I, I understand why from what I've heard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, well, because it's I think it's interesting. It's like what you had this sort of thing with. Uh, was, I haven't watched the second season of Superman and Lois. I love the first season. I think it was a really interesting. Take. It's good. It's uh, um, it's got it's got yeah. some of the same story beats but the but it's still very very entertaining good yeah i mean i think it's a really good superman i think the idea of him as a parent is very interesting um i think it adds an interesting dynamic um that we really like we're only beginning to really see in comics um 
you know, I think with Jonathan Kent, um, I don't know. Again, it goes back to this idea of like, I'm really glad, even though I'm like way behind it, I'm really glad these things exist because mm-hmm. it allows us to figure out what works and what doesn't with these characters. Um, I think Gotham Knights, just based on the premise alone, what I don't think works for me is just like, uh, I mean, you're, 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 you're trying to have it both ways, right? Mm-hmm. You're like, well, let's have a, let's have a uh, a show about Batman, but like not be about any of the characters that we actually really care about. Um, and I think like, even like his son is not like the son right, um, yeah. from the comics. It's like, it's not Damian Wayne. It's someone else or yeah, so. it's weird. Yeah. It's, it's this, I don't know. There's been this obsession that TV studios have had going back before Smallville with the idea of doing a Batman show without Batman. <laughs> And so much so with the original before Smallville, that was supposed to be young Bruce Wayne. And then they decide to do Smallville instead. Then they do Gotham. Mm. They do Birds of Prey. They do Titans is very heavily Batman influenced. So you've done like five or six versions of Batman without Batman. So why do you keep on doing it? How is Titans? Because I tried to I watched the first four episodes and I absolutely hated it. Like I I. I think for for my money, it was such a misunderstanding. Like, speaking to like the uh, uh, something that was kind of edited within an inch of its life, like that very first episode where he's a detective, I'm like interesting. It's a Grayson's a detective, I'm like interesting. And then there's a line where he's like, "Batman make me want to cross a line that I didn't want to cross." I'm like, "Motherfucker!" And the scene beforehand, you killed four people. Like, so what was the line that you didn't want him that he wanted you to cross? that you were not okay with because you literally murdered people. Um, and then there's that one moment with like Hawk and dove and they're trying to have sex. And he's like, I'm sorry. I just don't get used to it. And I'm like, Oh no. And then they have like her get in the mirror, look up and get smiley. And she's like, Oh my God, she had an affair with Robin. I was like, it's like, it was just this extreme version of the story. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want this. This is not what I want. But apparently, uh, it's going it's going for four seasons. I enjoy it for the most part. Like it's definitely, it, it it's. I mean, it, it, there's a very different level of quality when you compare it to like Doom Patrol, which is amazing. Um, I've heard only good things about Doom, Doom Patrol. Patrol is so good. It is so good. If yeah. have you read the Morrison Doom Patrol? Uh, no, no. But okay. I, I've heard only again it's only good things. Amazing, and it's like they they use the Morrison Doom Patrol as like their bible for this. So. If you're a fan of right. the Morrison Doom Patrol, like this series, which I am, like this series is just it's it's such a perfect way to translate that onto into the live screen. I've, it 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 is amazingly well done. Um, Titans, it's like because uh, I was I was cool on it to begin with from the trailer and everything because it looked like they were going with the whole the the Snyder type you know angsty yeah. dark type thing. But I found myself actually really kind of enjoying the first season because it. There is some of that, especially early on, but it does kind of course correct a little bit and you find out that, and it, it gets really, and there, it has ups and downs, but there's some, there's some really good stuff that, that keeps me coming back to it. Like, um, just an example, the, um, the first half of, of the most recent se- season four, um, there was, uh, they had Titus Welliver as Lex Luthor and he was amazing. And just like, Unfortunately, you know, spoilers, he dies, but they had him in there for a few episodes and he was great. And like, I would have watched a whole season of him. Um, 
Yeah. There's a lot of other stuff in there too. Like, you know, I really like the guy they got playing Superboy. Um, they got Tim Drake in there now too, which is which is interesting to see. So there's and I I overall I like uh probably gonna mispronounce it Brendan Thwaites, I think is his name, or or whatever his name is, but as as Robin, Nightwing, Dick Grayson. I really like him. I think he does a lot more good than than bad. I think he's, you know, definitely the best version we've seen of that character in live action. Not exactly stiff competition. I understand that, but still. no, yeah, 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 yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's interesting. Like, I think I, I, I'm more readily, I'm more willing to give Doom Patrol a chance because I know it's like a lot more adult, and I know it's a lot more like uh, absurdist. But I, it's it, it's weird. Like, I feel like there's like an allowance. I'll and then an allowance, but it's like it's weird. Like I. It's especially considering like how our conversation started, like li- understanding the limits of like what these certain characters. Yes, I will feed you. My cat is hungry. Um, certain the limits of these characters, uh, and wondering, um, like with Man of Steel and seeing the range and, and accepting them. I feel like, you know, what I saw of Titans, I felt like. At least in those ish, uh, those episodes, was like you lost sight of what made these characters interesting, and I think, and that's and that's kind of where I, to the Green Hornet of it all, like they lost sight of what made this character interesting. You know, where when it they do do it, like oh, this guy is the hero, but he's pretending to be the villain. That's when it gets really interesting. That's the cool story. Um, you know, Titans. I think when you seeing Dick Grayson kill and things, and I'm like, that's not that's not really dick race it's like superman killing you don't really want to see that um you know it's i think so many times when these when these projects go awry like the green hornet like um man of steel and batman versus superman is that they lose sight of the, the the core appeal of these characters i think whatever creative is behind that project start seeing like oh well this is i i like they they see the wrong thing like snyder i think always understood likes the wrong thing about batman it's like he's badass it's like and a lot and let's be honest like a lot of fans seem to like yeah well i mean it's the it's the same problem he had with Watchmen, right where he he focused on like you watch i everyone whenever someone says like oh Watchmen is so it's such a great movie it looks just like a comic i'm like yeah but he doesn't understand what those panels were trying to say yeah that that's the and you know, I went on a whole rant on this way back on when we talked about uh, um, the the Watchmen movie. I think it was like an episode five or something of the show. So so go back yeah. and hear my my take on that because 145 episodes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a long time ago. But um, but yeah, it. And I think yeah, I think the same thing here with Green Hornet is, I think everyone gets so hung up on the idea of Britt Reed being a dick that they forget that at the end of the day, you're still supposed to be telling a story where Britt Reed becomes a hero and they, they lose sight mm. of that. And also, like you said, the most interesting part of the green Hornet story here is the fact that they're, they're posing, they're heroes posing as villains. And uh, part of the problem here is that they, they lost sight of what makes that character interesting. And like you'd said, yeah. and that idea of like, you know, breaking the law to protect, protect it. That's a really interesting idea. And that's something that is, I think part of the problem too is I don't think the Green Hornet really works in a in a in a movie setting either. I think you'd really want to do something 
where it is a TV show where you can explore the ramifications of these decisions. It's hard to fit all that kind of stuff into a movie too, I think. Yeah. I mean, I think like, again, I think it can work in the movie in a movie. I think it has to be sort of reconstructed. I think the, mm-hmm. the origin story is a mistake. I think, um, you know, it, ha- it, it it's, the, the, you can explore the repercussions. Like, God, imagine like the Green Hornet, but heat. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how you do it. Like, and again, yeah. I just really, I really just watched Heat for the first time, and I can't believe that was like a blind spot. What a! I can't movie. believe I that was your it. first time. But yeah, good, good. <laughs> I, but like, yeah, my girlfriend's like, you haven't seen. I'm like, I've seen scenes from it. Uh, like, that's actually one of the weird things about going to film school is when you watch a lot of clips from a lot of movies mm-hmm. that you think you saw the movie, and then you see the movie like, like fucking Die Hard. Like, I watched Die Hard once. Uh, I mean, I saw Die Hard 3 with uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I love Die Hard with a Vengeance, and I love Die Hard. So I bought Die Hard on Blu-ray, and I sat down to watch it. I'm like, I've never seen this movie, <laughs> ever. Um, and this is years ago now. I can watch it countless times now. Um, but that was like heat. I'm like, I know I, that was one of those, like, I've seen a lot of clips from it. I've seen a lot of mm-hmm. talked a lot about it. But I know I know that I did not see the movie beginning to end, and it was like, the 4k was like eight bucks on, on Amazon. And I was just like, yeah, just put like, this is less, this is cheaper than a movie ticket. Like mm-hmm. this, let me get it. And it was like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's that. This is, this is, yes, this mm-hmm. is great. Yeah. This is cinema. Um, So like, imagine like, but like imagine a story like that. um, But the green Hornet. So you can tell a sprawling crime drama. Mm-hmm. Um, in film uh, with the Green Hornet, I just don't think it, it's it's a tougher nut to crack. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, but yeah, I think a TV series is really good. I, I again, I have a really interesting idea. I think for the Green Hornet Green Llama crossover that I really want to do because I like it'll never happen. So I mean, if it does, it'll just point like oh this is one this is when he pitched it mm-hmm. basically because my grand llama stories are all like one continuity and i establish that he lives beyond the pope era um that he ages very slowly mm-hmm. um i want to do i think a... dynamite did something similar to that in their uh, project superpowers when they age him very slowly. yeah but it sucked they <laughs> age him very slowly it, they also made him a plant-based superhero which that was is like, yeah i like, think that was a i think that was a way to get around any potential rights issues or something maybe i don't know no no oh, no it wasn't no, no. Okay. That, that's a whole different story no they just made him a plant-based superhero because they misunderstood the appeal of the character he's uh, a buddhist uh-huh. <laughs> he's a buddhist he's a body's uh he is he is someone who is delaying his own uh enlightenment so others can follow him and become enlightened themselves that is an interesting story that he's a plant-based superhero. I have Swamp Thing. I don't need the Green <laughs> Llama to be a plant-based superhero. So yeah, they did something similar, uh, but I, I think they, I don't know, the, the alternate history of Project Superpowers, um, I I really don't care for, uh, but that's another another story. But the idea is that like, I, I, I really wanted to tell like a, a you know, sort of, the or inverse of Steve Rogers, where like the further like you jump him, mm-hmm. that like the the thing the great thing about Captain America 
is the further away you get from the origin story, the more relevant he becomes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was really interesting. It was a good choice. Like when Stanley's like, oh, he was frozen. We're retconning all that stuff. He was frozen in time and now he's back. Mm -hmm. It's been 20 years. And that was, in, and he's like, wow, things are changed. You know, and now with, uh, you know, the Chris Evans version, it's like, it's been like 70 years. And that's yeah, it, even more it's interesting. It's much more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, when they eventually reboot the character at some point, you know, it's a hundred years mm -hmm. he's been frozen. That's going to be nuts. We, I hope to see that. I really mm -hmm. would love to see that version of the character. Cause then it's going to be really, because who knows if there'll be America by then. Mm -hmm. um, that's depressing. Um, so like, I want to do something similar with like the green llama, but like have him live very long and lose the people he cares about mm -hmm. along the way. And I think what, you know, he is a Tibetan hero. He loses Tibet. Um, that is a very different kind of story where it's not like Methuselah, but it's just like, you know, he becomes less relevant in the mm -hmm. world and how does he move through it? So yeah, eventually like I had this idea of, of Jethro Dumont playing, pretending to be like his uh, son in 1960s Chicago and, you know, facing off against the green Hornet who he thinks is a crime boss because of course he would. Right. It's very similar to like uh, what they did with Batman 66, but it, you know, I would avoid, you know, I would actively avoid retelling that story, but like, it'd be really cool to have like, you know, going into this story where, and that was the best thing about the Batman 66 cross. I was like, Batman believes that green Hornet is a villain. Right. So, that's that that is how they first interact um so there's something to be there there's something there and i really would love to do that story if i did but so yeah my point is is that like there are lots of ways in with the green hornet as as a concept and i think this story this film tried to do too many different things and kind of ended up with a mess mm -hmm. yeah yeah I, I think that's a that's a pretty good note to end on um like it's just there are some there's some good things in it and like i find myself really loving the the stuff with christoph waltz a lot more this time around than i did the first time mm. um jay chow i still enjoyed him a lot in this and um yeah i still just come back to that and for anyone who's who said like i think seth rogan i think has done a lot of, like you'd mentioned you know the, he did the boys he did preacher he's doing the the new animated ninja turtles movie this is a guy who knows his geek shit, right? obviously, and he knows how yeah, to do he it really well. Does. He knows how to do it well. Like you know, the boys is amazing. Preacher got off yeah. to a bit of a rocky start, but overall, I enjoyed it for the most part. And and one of the things I found He's also was, did like Invincible, right? Or no, no, he didn't. I don't. He might have. I think you. I think you might be right. I think he might have had some involvement with Invincible as well. But um, it, you know, one of the things I found hilarious was all these people who were praising like the boys and um and preacher were some of the same people who were shitting on green hornet before it even came out just because of seth rogan's involvement i'm like you guys know who who wrote those things you now love right yeah yeah so that, that I, 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 found, uh, I got a i got a bit bit of a uh i got a bit of a jolt out of that but yeah i mean and i think he 
if he was going to do a version of the Green Hornet, I mean, I know it doesn't have the rights anymore, so it doesn't matter, but I would much rather see him take a backseat to it and just stay on the other side of the camera and just focus on like the writing and the producing and let someone else play the character, I think is because I think that is really where the biggest fault in this movie lies. And I think a lot of the other stuff, we do have the problems with a lot of other the script problems, but for me, the biggest fault is really Seth Rogen is just not the right pick for this character. Yeah. And it's funny because like even the Christoph Waltz, who's like amazing in uh, once a, uh, not once upon a time in uh, Nazi Germany uh, in, uh, in glorious bastards. bastards. Yeah. Like, yeah, I really wish we had had um, that menacing version of him. Mm-hmm. I think there's a, again, there's an interesting story there that he's, but I feel like he's playing for comedy. And I think while Christoph Waltz can be very funny, um, I was, I, I know I was wishing for like um, his character in, like just that menace. This the well, you know who who was originally dread. supposed to play that part because Christoph Waltz was yeah. a recast, Nicolas Cage. Oh, and you see that and really? you realize that that is a part that was definitely written for Nicolas Cage. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. See, that's the thing. I think it's just like yeah. I think it's just like there was a better the, the script might have been fine, but the wrong cast. Um, <laughs> no one, and it's no one's fault. I like I don't want to sit there and like say say like again. Seth Rogen didn't do anything wrong. He was doing what he was hired to do. Christoph Waltz didn't do anything wrong. He was doing what he was hired to do. Like <laughs> Jay Chow, uh, Cameron Diaz, um, you know everyone um, was there doing the thing they were hired to do. Mm-hmm. But you know. There, there's a reason why those ingredients you don't put together. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and this is, like you said, this is early in the, the superhero factory, so they're just still trying to fit. And they're still so hooked on the idea of doing an origin story, too, which is, like we'd said, that's yeah. another problem, too. And I think if they were going to make this movie now, I think they would completely cut out the whole origin part of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was, like, the best thing, like, with my favorite part of Spider-Man Homecoming mm-hmm. was, like, when the thing happened, happened, you know, like, thank you. Mm-hmm. That was and Batman. And the same Batman, with the Batman. The Batman like, yeah, the, like just like it's. Just we like, don't need to. We don't need to see pearls like, falling in slow motion for the fiftieth time. <laughs> yeah, and I think like God, what like that's a, a again, again to the like the Batman like is a good example. Like yeah, you could like it's a crime drama. Mm-hmm. Like you could have you could do it as a movie. Um, but I think yeah, I think the mistake was the origin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I think one of, that's one of, one of the mistakes. Yeah, it's it, some interesting things. I think it is an interesting movie to revisit, especially if you had a very visceral reaction mm-hmm. to it back at the time. Um, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say it's a good movie. I wouldn't say it's even that enjoyable of a movie because I think I, I actually fell asleep a few times watching it. But it's yeah, I, it's, I, yeah. it's it's got some it's got some good moments in it, uh, nonetheless. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is if you are going to watch this, and we've we've touched upon this several times already, but the biggest thing is you're going to go watch this out of curiosity. It is a really interesting snapshot. It is mm. not a bad film. It's not a good film. It is a thoroughly mediocre film that is evidence of a time in superhero cinema um, that is both lost and is kind of returning. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. Good way to end it on. All right, Adam, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find your stuff? Uh, well, you can follow me on basically every social media account under uh, Adam Lance Garcia. That's all one word. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. 
uh, TikTok, uh, and a few other places. Um, and you can pre-order Star Wars from a certain point of view, Return of the Jedi, uh, at your favorite uh, store. Uh, it's basically on literally every store because it's Star Wars. I wrote a Star War. That is the coolest sentence. I'll, I, 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 I repeat it to myself sometimes uh, when I'm just walking around. Um, and you can listen to my Green Llama audio drama on your favorite podcast app. Uh, just it's the Green, with one, Green Llama with one L. Um, the first season, eight episodes. I'm really proud of it. And we're going to be working on season two once I finish the Green Llama novel. I'm going to do it. I promise. <laughs> all right. All right. Well, thanks again for, for coming on. And we'll have links to all that stuff in the show notes. Um, this is fun. Always, so glad to have you come back on. I'm so glad it was the 150th Anytime. episode just to work things out. And this is a this is a fun pick to to revisit um but that does it for this episode superhero cinephiles superhero cinephiles.com is the website super cinema pod on twitter and instagram and if you subscribe to the patreon you get these episodes a week in advance and you also get access to the superhero cinephiles book club where we talk about comics and graphic novels thanks for listening we'll talk to you next time if you enjoy the superhero cinephiles then you'll also love my companion podcast the superhero cinephiles book club All my Patreon subscribers get access to this exclusive podcast where I review superhero comics and graphic novels. Not sure what comics you want to read next or what you should dive into? I've got you covered on that. I'll be doing reviews, recommendations, and also talking to you about useful entry points if you're interested in reading some comics but don't know where you should start. Plus, you'll get access to all episodes of the main show a week before everyone else. On all of this, for as little as just a dollar a month, all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash supercinemapod, and you can sign up at any subscription amount to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and please don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening, and as always, good night, good evening, God bless.